Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Stocks are pulling back sharply here as investors weigh how that strong jobs number will impact the Fed's next move and corporate warnings are piling up. This is the make or break hour for your money. Welcome, everyone, to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen. Take a look at where we stand right now in the market near the lows of the day. As you can see, we've been drifting lower all afternoon, down 2.2 percent on the Dow. S&P 500 down almost 3 percent. It's looking like an ugly close with the Nasdaq down 3.6 percent and small caps giving back 3 percent as well. We're actually still higher for the week. Take a look at a weekly chart here. Up one and a half percent on the S&P 500, still holding on to gains after that big rally we got on Monday and Tuesday. It is actually the first positive week in the last four for the overall market, but not looking pretty right now. Coming up on the show today, Fundstrat's Tom Lee will join us with his latest read on the market after today's jobs report and ahead of CPI, the inflation read, next week. Plus, we will talk to the CEO of Tilray, which spiked yesterday 30 percent after President Biden's surprise pardon for some marijuana convictions, though It is giving up a big chunk of those gains right now. We'll kick it off right with the market on the market dashboard during the sell-off. Mike Santoli is here. Every sector is lower. It's pretty broad. And and that's actually been one of the hallmarks of these sell-offs, the breadth. Bad. Absolutely. It's these one-way markets largely. Monday and Tuesday were some of the strongest upside breadth we've seen in a very long time. And today is is pretty much across the board to the downside. I would say uh, 80 to 90 percent downside volume. Now, the S&P 500, we knew that the market was somewhat... Uh, banking or hopeful of a, of a slightly softer uh, labor picture from the employment report did not get that. We knew that the market was given a reprieve with a backup in Treasury yields, the dollar easing off, oil staying tame. Well, all those things have basically worked in reverse right now. You do have the dollar and yields working a bit higher. That brings us down to the level. Sarah mentioned, you know, we're up for the week, up about a percent and a half. That's also how far we are off the year-to-date lows because we did close last Friday pretty much at the year-to-date lows. This area here, uh, 36 42. Well, if we can think back to mid-June, remember those lows? 36.36 was the intraday low. So essentially, this round trip of sorts over the past four months, we didn't get escape velocity on that bounce. You are still going to hear people after today say, look, market is still oversold. We're kind of hovering above this down 25% threshold on the S&P 500 from the peak. That was Friday's lows. Um, Now, take a look here at FedEx. That's a big piece of the story today as well. Uh, An implicit warning, or at least reports of uh, an internal warning about yet weaker demand for FedEx. It has been weak even among the transports. And here you see it's actually traded more in line, FedEx has, with the airlines than it has with either UPS or the S&P road and rail sub-index. Road and rail is truckers and railroads. And so that gives you a macro view of what's been happening in terms of overall shipping volumes and the macro story. That's been weak, but not nearly as weak as FedEx, which is a bit more of an air freight and an operating story. It doesn't change the idea uh, that we are perhaps in for some downgrades of earnings expectations, but it's a little bit of a nuance in terms of a FedEx-specific story. Well, we're we're getting a lot of those downgrades already. I wanted to bring up Tesla, Mike. It is the worst performing stock on the S&P 500 this week, down 
on 15 and a half percent. So clearly dragging down the overall index. Disappointing quarterly deliveries, no question. Maybe the the Twitter bid. No doubt about it. Yes. <laughs> leading to some questions about his focus, but that that has hung in there relatively well against some of the other Nasdaq stocks. It if, has. If this continues to crater, though, that will be a problem for the market. Well, for sure. I mean, just because of its weight, because of its weight. By the way, it's like uh, 20 percent of the consumer discretionary sector, right. which is kind of silly. And Amazon is almost another uh, 20 or something like that. Now, there's definitely an element here of a presumption that Elon Musk will have to sell more Twitter shares, but also all of the still somewhat expensive NASDAQ bellwethers are getting hit hard today. You are seeing 4 or 5% come out of the likes of Microsoft, Amazon down too. So uh, that's been a little bit of this nagging story w- with the market, whereas they got so expensive and crowded, and it's been in waves they've, they've had people come out. Well, and out also of- what's expensive? Tesla's still trading at more than 50 times well, yes. next year's earnings. So Tesla and Amazon are kind of in a different category. They don't really trade that closely on an earnings expectation basis. But something like Microsoft in the mid-20s, you know, why can't that go down a couple more points in multiple? Mike, thank you. Mike Santoli, we'll see you in a few for the Market Zone. We're still a week away from the official start to earnings season, but the warnings have been coming fast and furious. In a matter of weeks, we've seen a flurry of red flags from, take a look, companies like Ford, Levi's, Samsung, and many more AMD last night. That was the most recent one. The chipmaker issuing weaker preliminary third quarter results due to slowing PC demand and also the supply chain. So what should investors make of all these warnings? Joining us now is Fundstrat's Tom Lee, who has been the lone bull. You've got some more bulls in your corner lately. But, Tom, the warnings don't bode well for earnings season. Uh, that's right, Sarah. Um, I mean, earnings are slowing because uh, there's a lot of tightening working their way through the system and companies, CEOs are cautious. And, and I think that the earnings warnings kind of stand in contrast to market perceptions that the labor market's so strong that the Fed has to keep really accelerating its hikes. So what you're saying is that the economy is actually weaker than the Fed thinks? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'd say right now, um, you know, the hard data that markets, when they think about the Fed and what they react to is is reports like CPI or the employment report. But the soft surveys, whether it's the ISMs or it's the plethora of companies warning on earnings, you know, when companies have reduced profits or top line challenges or operational expenses, you know, they're not going to be hiring. So I, I, I think it's still going to be a case where the market is data dependent, watching every report in next week's CPI is not an exception. But to me, the gap that's widening is the soft data, whether it's like the surveys or the Mannheim used car price index are showing uh, a weakening of the inflationary pressures. But the hard data we're still seeing is, is showing the economy's uh, quite stronger inflation size. So I, I think it's just going to be a matter of time where, you know, the soft data is sort of anchoring where things are headed and, and the hard data just catches up. But in the meantime, you know, back to these earnings warnings and negativity, Tom, doesn't it make it harder to be bullish on the market if earnings expectations have to come down? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's it's a it's a little bit of a race against time, Sarah, because um, earnings are coming down, and and that's reflecting uh, the effect of the economy slowing. But what's going to matter to markets because of positioning and and really how equity allocations are are playing out is really when the Fed decides that a lot enough tightening's taken place. So. Uh, I, I think you can still be in a situation where earnings are weakening and even expectations come down. 
but stocks are going to react to the change in risk premium. And, and that's going to be the day that investors really start to feel that the war on inflation is starting to, you know, the tide is turning. And it doesn't mean the Fed has to pivot. It just has to be the cadence of data starts to look better. And why do, you know, you might ask, well, why does risk premium matter? Inflation and the risk of inflation is still one of the biggest tail risks for risk premia. And really getting ahead of that and, you know, seeing progress on inflation is going to matter for compressing risk mm -hmm. premium. And, and just I would add is, you know, if you look at high yield spreads, which is a, you know, kind of an important corollary and, and you know, ancillary to how look, you look at market risk premium, high yield spreads aren't making new wides. You know, they're actually narrower now than they were in June. So there is that divergence between equity and credit, you know, and, and that's why some credit investors are, are becoming interested in owning credit. Well, that does actually mean stocks can catch up once the tide of inflation is visibly turning on the hard data. It sounds like what you're saying is that the Fed, and, and this is what we see in the market action, that the Fed, whether it will pivot or not, whether the data warrants or not, is more important right now, ultimately, than, than earnings for the, the direction of the market. But even if you're there, Tom, even if you see continuing mounting evidence in the soft data that the economy is weak and that inflation is slowing, the Fed is not there yet. And the Fed is making it clear that it has a lot more work, work to do. The Fed probably looks at today's number, 3.5% unemployment, which is the lowest in decades, and says, we've got, we've got more room to go. Uh, that's right. I mean, Sarah, you know, I, and if you look at market expectations, uh, you know, November was real. the market was essentially soft penciling in 75 basis points anyways. The odds just increased. So, you know, today's employment reward didn't suddenly you know, put a new fire under the Fed's foot. The Fed is already on a path to raise, you know, somewhere between 125 and 100 to 125 by the end of this year. That's really the base case. But that does mean, you know, post November 2nd, you know, there's another 50. It's, it's not as if we're resetting the clock and suddenly talking about terminal rates hitting seven. I, I just think what we have to keep in mind is the Fed can't even hint at changing their mind or even beginning to think about changing their mind as long as the tide of inflationary data looks unfavorable. So, you know, jolts was a good sort of start, but then the payrolls report today didn't really make anyone feel better about inflation. It's almost data dependent and, you know, CPI is next week. Well, Brent crude is back to 98. That doesn't help either. WTI at, at, at 93. You're sticking with 4,800, I think, for the S&P target, Tom? I mean, that's a real stretch, but do I think stocks can rally into year end? Yes. And I think if, if I had to look at progress over the last three months, the soft data, you know, like whether it's ISMs or leading indicators are really showing that inflation isn't necessarily accelerating. Even, you know, even today's payrolls report, wage wages aren't necessarily accelerating. So I do think it's a, it's a growing gap. And when that gap sort of recalibrates, that's when the markets can take a breath. And I, I think we still have enough time into year end for, for that to happen and markets to rally. Sticking to the bullish guns, Tom. Thank you for joining me. It's good to talk to you. Thanks. Tom Lee, a fun strat. We're going to have much more on the sell-off for you throughout the show, including a closer look at the big pain in big cap tech, especially in light of some of those warnings today from AMD and Samsung. Concerns about demand. The Nasdaq's down 3.6%, as you can see. Up next, shares of Tilray are higher on the week following President Biden's move to pardon some pot offenders, but giving up a lot of those gains today on the back of earnings. We're going to talk to CEO Erwin Simon next. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. Dow is down 650 points.
When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. Saving, researching, investing. Now you can take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. I have an investment account with Schwab and a 401k with Fidelity, and I use Yahoo Finance to consolidate them so it's incredibly easy to manage. They've been helping great investors like you for over 25 years. So whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking to level up, Yahoo Finance can simplify things, putting all your tools and data in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a 360-degree look at the financial news cycle, from breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, and customizable charts. They've got you covered. You can see all of your 401k and other investments by securely linking your brokerage accounts. Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you see your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective helps smart investors become even better. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Tech stocks are getting slammed right now in the middle of this sell-off. Look at the Nasdaq, it's down 3.7%, not helping, higher treasury yields and a stronger dollar. Let's bring in Steve Kovac for a look at some of the movers. Steve. Yes, yeah, Sarah, I'm going to start off with Spotify. That's down nearly 5% after reports today. It canceled 10 of its podcasts and laid off about 5% of staff. Those reductions reportedly affecting podcast studios Spotify has acquired over the last few years, specifically Gimlet and Pod- Parcast. Originally, the uh, content was used to be the crown jewel for the company, and now they're kind of paring it back. Let's move on to mega caps, though, because those are really hurting after that warning from AMD and Samsung this morning. Microsoft is down uh, more than 5% now, likely due to that AMD revised guidance from the September quarter. Warning of falling PC demand. But look, Microsoft watchers, they knew this one was coming. Microsoft said this summer PC demand began to deteriorate back in June. Apple also hurting from that AMD report last night. On top of Samsung's report, its profit will fall significantly for the September quarter. Apple's off more than 3% right now. Meta down 4% following a Verge report last night saying the company's Metaverse product is full of bugs and its own employees don't even use it. Meta is expected to launch its first new headset since its Metaverse pivot next week. So the pressure's on for that one. And just a few more to mention, uh, Sarah, with the rest of big tech. Amazon's down over 4% and Alphabet, the strongest of the group today, down just 2.5% following its Pixel phone and smartwatch launch event yesterday, Sarah. No shortage of catalysts there, hammering tech today. Thank you, Steve Kovac. Take a look at the pot stocks. They lit up after President Biden announced pardons to thousands thousands convicted of marijuana possession. But now that high is gone. They're falling along with the rest of the market. Tilray is one of the pot stocks that rallied hard on the back of that news. Another reason the stock is down, the company out today missing earnings and revenue estimates after reporting first quarter results this morning. Let's talk about all of it. Joining us now, first on CNBC, is Tilray CEO, Erwin Simon. uh, Erwin, it's great to have you back. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. I think we have to start with the the news out of President Biden, which I don't know about you, but sort of came as a surprise, certainly to the market, the, the pardons for possession and also the direction of the DOJ and Department of Health to look at how they classify marijuana. How how big of a deal is it, do you think? So it's a really big deal. Listen, getting any news out of the president, getting any news out of the White House is important. I think we've all been waiting for this. And, you know, we've had lots of conversations out there with the senators, lots of conversations with certain congressmen and women. But to hear the president come out and pardon 
those that were charged with crimes on a federal basis and pardon them is a great step in the right direction for many reasons. And, you know, what he's seeing, Sarah, is his constituents and their constituents out there want legalization to happen in cannabis. And I think the thing is figuring what's the right way to go about it. And that's what's important out there. And, you know, that was something that was on the Democrat platform two years ago. And I think with the election coming up, he knew he had to get something out there with a direction of which way they were going to go. So it's a real important. I think there's still a lot of wood to chop before we get to full legalization. But it's important to know it's on the agenda of the president where it has not been before. Yeah. And and along with it, with these pardons, he he complained on Twitter that that the, the United States classifies marijuana at the same level as heroin and more serious than fentanyl, which he says it makes no sense. So he's asking them to review the process of how it is scheduled under federal law. What would a change mean there, rescheduling marijuana it, for, for your business or for use? So I think rescheduling would be important to show it's not classified the same as a heroin or other you know, harmful drugs. I think, again, to step back and say, is this here, over 60% of Americans want cannabis legalized. Over 90% want it legalized from a medical standpoint. There's a tremendous amount of research out there that says the effects of medical cannabis in regards to sleep, pain, anxiety, etc. And just coming back and looking, you know, over the last two days, we've traded over 100 million shares today. We traded close to that yesterday. There's a lot of investors that want to see something happen here. And that's what's important is, you know, institutions want to be investing in this without the Safe Bank Act. I think it keeps some away. But I got to tell you, the demand out there for cannabis is tremendous. There's 35 states that have legalization out there today, whether it's medical or recreational. So I think it's real important that the government comes out and takes some stand to get the confusion that's out of there. In the meantime, I wanted to ask you, Erwin, about Canada, because you, you did put out results today. And, and while they were headline missed, there was some improvement there on the on the loss. It was a little you're narrowing the loss. Talk to us so, about what's happening in the Canadian market and with your results. So, you know, I think we put out there pretty good results today, you know, from the standpoint, one hundred and fifty three million dollars, but one hundred and sixty five and one hundred sixty six in constant currency. Our margin was up. Um, in regards to our share was up eight and a half percent. Sarah, we're sitting with over $500 million of cash that has a strong balance sheet. And the Canadian market is the only country in the world where adult cannabis is legalized. We got the largest share today. We got the largest grow. We got 12 brands out there. We got, you know, our pre-rolls. We got our flowers. We got our drinks. We got our edibles. So with that, we're well positioned. You know, once cannabis legalizes in the U.S. to come in here and make a major play because of our balance sheet and our know-how. In regards to Europe, we have a major, you know, grow facility in Germany and Portugal. We sell cannabis today in 20 different countries from a medical standpoint, and again, continuously do a lot of research. So Tilray is well positioned in the cannabis world. And the name of our company is Tilray Brands. We have a great spirits business and a great beer business and a great wellness food business with adjacency to the cannabis business. In the meantime, as we wait for cannabis to legalize, you know, in the U.S. I'm just we're just showing the Dow chart because we are making new session lows right now, down 712 points. It's just been an ugly downward slope for the market ever since the jobs number was released this morning. What a great day to do earnings, right? Yeah, no kidding. So finally, Erwin, you know, you said when 
cannabis gets legalized in the U.S. And you've been positioning and making acquisitions. And clearly, this is what the stock is trading on as well, to a large extent. I think you told me last time you expect it to happen within two years. Are you revising that at all? Listen, I, I think, again, it's great to see that the president come out and is taking some type of stand. But I think what's important is what Tilray is doing, is being a consumer branded company that's focused on you know, cannabis in a big way, that's focused on consumer products that consumers want. You know, a question asked to me, what happens in a recession? What happens with cannabis? What happens with spirits? And I think what's important out there is consumers stay home They'll, they'll enjoy their cannabis as more and more research comes out from a medical standpoint. And with what, what we're doing in building out our infrastructure on a global basis and the potential of Germany going legalized, um, you know, we're in a good place. And with our balance sheet today, we got fixed debt out there. We got a strong balance sheet. So, you know, Tilray is in yeah. a good place. You know, we narrowed our losses. Our losses basically are just working capital within and you know, I'm excited to see what's going on with Hillred. Arwin Simon, keep us posted. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Sarah. CEO of Tilray. Let's get straight to our stealth mover today. It's a layup. Madison Square Garden Sports. Look at that. A big winner on this big down day, up 8%. The owner of the New York Knicks and Rangers announcing a special one-time cash dividend of $7 per share and a $75 million stock buyback plan. But in an interview with Barron's executive chairman, James Dolan, blocking hopes that the company will explore a sale of those teams, which could be worth a combined $8 billion has been speculation on the street for a while. We just mentioned we are sitting at session lows. The Dow is down about 712 points right now as we head into the close. It's broad. The Nasdaq is down even worse. You're getting another day with rising Treasury yields and the stronger dollar, which is not helping. Reaction to jobs, perhaps expectations about the Fed. There's now more than a 90 percent chance in the market that the Fed does another jumbo rate hike next time, 75 basis points. Let's bring in Miller Tabak, chief market strategist Matt Maley on the news line. And Matt, I always turn to you on the technical. So tell us which which levels we should be watching here as we sink into the close. The S&P now down 3 percent. Well, of course, the uh, you know, those uh, uh, lows from uh, last Friday are going to be a key level because, uh, you know, <laughs> one of the elementary things of technical analysis, of course, is when you make uh, lower highs and lower lows. So if we make another new lower low, uh, that's going to be a big concern. And you get below, you know, below much 3,600, 3, that 3,500 level uh, could be reached very quickly, the one that, you know, everybody's been talking about recently. NASDAQ's now down almost 4 percent. But what is causing this? big drop is just continued nervousness about Fed hikes. Well, I think it's a combination here. You know, a lot of attention is, of course, going to the number, uh, the the uh, employment number this morning, or the entire employment report. But you also have this situation where, uh, you know, Advanced Micro and uh, Samsung reported, you know, those yep. poor earnings and, and poor guidance. So it just raises that level of, of concern over earnings. And the thing is, we're not going to get any answer. That, that uncertainty around earnings is going to last through next week because we're not going to get any answers on that until next Friday and thereafter. So, uh, again, when uncertainty grows, it's not good for the markets. What is it? What is expected now on earnings? Because because expectations have come down as the market and the economy have weakened a bit. Well, yeah, well, when we talk about it, yes, everybody talks about that, but the actual numbers haven't come down all that much. Uh, the official numbers from analysts and uh, still, you know, it, it, 
Well, no, I mean, you're still looking for $223, I believe, is, is the consensus for, for this year, anyway. And, uh, and we know that if we go into recession, every single recession since World War II has seen earnings go down. So if we only do 223 this year and then we're lower next year, that means the market isn't, isn't anywhere near the, the fair value that some people think it is. So what you, you sometimes when we email back and forth, you always tell me which stock is the key right now to the market, which stock you'd be watching. Clearly, AMD, you spotlighted Samsung, FedEx, all with the, the warnings. Any, any other ones you'd be watching as far as key levels? I, I mentioned Tesla earlier. It's been beaten up this week. Yeah, that's all. That's always an important one to look at. But right now, you know what? I'm looking at Apple. I mean, it seems like all too obvious to look at that stock. But one of the things is that people have been using that as kind of a safe haven right now. When, when you know, we were, people were talking about, are we going to get capitulation? Well, if people start dumping Apple computer, uh, that'll be a sign that they've just thrown in the towel. So I know it's going to sound weird, but the, maybe the best thing that could happen at some point in the next week or two is that Apple really gets hit hard. That'll show capitulations taking place and that maybe we have a realistic uh, view of at least some sort of a near-term bottom. You don't think it's done that? I mean, Apple's, it's, it's down 21% so far this year. Yeah, yeah, but it's still well above its, uh, uh, its June highs, uh, unlike the, the rest of the market. And uh, I hate to say it, but even though at 20, whatever, 21, 20 times, time, 22 times earnings, this stock is, is bottom in the mid-teens in most, big mar- uh, in most uh, bear markets uh, before it's bottomed on a valuation basis. So it's not as cheap as you usually see. Uh, so the capitulation just hasn't been there in, that, in this name. Really good point. Thank you, Matt Maley, for jumping on the news line. Appreciate it. From Miller Tayback. As we monitor this market, the Dow now making new lows as we speak, down 740 of the day, I should say. Check out the S&P 500 sector heat map. Nowhere to hide in a day like today. Everything is lower. The best performing sector is energy, down 1.2 percent. That's because oil prices continue to rise. They've marched higher to three-week highs uh, this week. And then you've got consumer discretionary at the bottom of the group, along with communication services, materials, real estate, financials are having a tough day. A lot of these sectors down three, even four percent almost for consumer discretionary. Joining us now to talk about the state of the economy in the world is World Bank President David Malpass. It's good to see you, President Malpass. Welcome. Hello, Sarah. Good to see you. And joining us on a, on a down day where the concern yet again is about the Fed and just how aggressive it's going to be. We got another pretty decent jobs report today. Three and a half percent unemployment, not too shabby. Do you think there's a big risk here of the Fed overdoing it on raising interest rates? I think there are a number of problems. One is the oil prices keep going up. You know, there are the problems in the bond market. As the as the short-term rates go up, then the bond market uh, feels that, and then there are margin calls. So that that all circles around. And we have overhanging this the the worry about growth including in 2023. I think one of the concerns for us, for the World Bank and for development, uh, is this uh, sense that the trends that are happening right now may continue into 2023. That means concerns about inflation, but also about the the rate hikes that you mentioned. Um, You know, the central banks are uh, maybe behind the curve, clearly with inflation going up and being persistent. And I think there's they have to use all of their tools. Same thing on the oil prices. There has to the world has to be using all of its tools in order to uh, 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 change the direction. Well, that's what, it's what the Fed has been doing, right? I think now the question is whether whether they're doing too much or whether they're about to do 
too much. I know you've been watching the spillover effects in places like emerging markets for the rest of the world. It's got to be a concern. Well, they have to deal with the inflation problem. And you're, you're right, they're using all of their, in, their interest rate hike tool. But I think they have other tools as well. There's the, the financial regulatory policy. Uh, and this applies to uh, the ECB and the Bank of Japan. You know, the, the global central banks are all in somewhat the similar circumstances of high, inflation that's stubbornly high. Uh, and, you know, very importantly, I think there has to be a focus on how the monetary policy policy and fiscal policies can help on the production side. The world needs more more goods being produced and more services being produced. And especially in the U.S., there needs to be more more productivity, more more workers, uh, but also more output in order to meet the gap uh, in world supply. You know, the other the other byproduct of all of this Fed hiking is that the U.S. dollar continues to make new highs. It's strong again today, up another half a percent, which is wreaking havoc on earnings from technology to pharmaceuticals to healthcare. any business here that that does business abroad. Basically, you've watched the global impact of this. Is it is it getting too strong for comfort where, where you'd like to see maybe some type of action to fight it? Well, I, I'd phrase it a little differently. The the weakness of the other currencies puts uh, pressure on U.S. earnings, uh, but, but it also puts pressure on the fiscal policies for other countries. As you know, if they have debt that's dollar debt, which many of the developing countries do, uh, it it uh, is really ratcheting up the pressure on them. Not only are the global markets, bond markets, uh, closed to them, uh, but the interest rates on their past debt are going up. You know, we saw this. A little bit in the ni- late 1990s, as the dollar got stronger and stronger, uh, the 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 uh, the pressure built up in bond markets, in global currencies, and there was currency depreciation and devaluations in countries. I think, uh, of course, this time is different, uh, but we also see the 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 pressure on debt service. I put out we're you know we're observing. For 2022, it looks like the the poorest countries in the world, 75 poorest countries, the IDA countries, uh, will have to pay $44 billion in debt service, or that's what they're being expected to pay by world markets. Hmm. That's just a very difficult situation because the dollar is so strong. Right, right. I know there are calls from you and the IMF to, to forgive that and make it a little bit easier. So how close are we to a global recession, do you think? Well, I think the risks are going up. We've, we're, we're looking at our forecasts. You know, in June, we did one set of forecasts. But now, if we redo them today, we'd be 1.1% lower than we were in June. And that would put world growth at just 1.9%. When you figure there's population growth inside of that, you need that just to stay even. And so I, I think we're at the point of uh, having to worry about there being world recession in 2023 uh, on the on the current trajectory. Uh, our base case is we're a little bit above a quote recession, uh, but still way too weak for the weaker for the developing countries. David Malpass, president of the World Bank, thank you for joining us today. Nice to see Appreciate you. Appreciate it. With, with so many of the concerns of the market right now, global. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Let's get back to Mike Santoli for more 
on the sell-off. What are you watching right now? Yeah, Sarah, it's it's deepening, and it's doing so in, in this kind of relentless way. It's not really uh, in any hurry to go down. It's just been sagging all afternoon. We're also going back in time a fair bit uh, as we do hit these new lows. We're about 1% in the S&P uh, above that, that low from last Friday, which is the low for this year. But here's a two-year chart of the NASDAQ 100, and you're kind of back right around this level. That was the very end of October 2020. So right before the presidential election, there actually had been a big rush uh, to a new high in uh, September of 2020. If you remember that, that was the kind of pandemic recovery rush. Then we had a big sell-off. So this is the, the bottom of that correction that preceded the, uh, the, the election rally for the overall market. One of the themes been hitting all year, of course, is that uh, the biggest stocks, the growthiest stocks that dominated the market to the upside last year have been the source of the greatest downside pressure this year. Uh, the average stock in the S&P 500 continues to outperform the market cap weighted one. It's, it's sort of a not exactly so much comfort because m- many people do own the biggest stocks and own the indexes, but it is still a factor here in weighing down something like the NASDAQ 100. That's where the valuation excess was and all the rest of it, the yield effect on long duration assets, certainly a piece of it, if not the uh, entire story. For the S&P 500, you're still up on a two-year basis. This is one of those very kind of loose rules that I always keep in mind when the market has kind of done a two-year round trip, when it's gone nowhere over that span of time in recent years. That has been a decent spot where uh, stocks had tried to at least find some traction. Although those were not at the end of prolonged bear markets, it was much more in those flash declines like we saw uh, in late 2018, early 2016, Sarah. Mike, whenever we have these really rough days, you know, one way that that bulls can look for a silver lining is figure out whether there's this is capitulation, right? Whether it's just a a puke, as you've you've said before. Matt Maley of Miller Tabak joined us and said, look at Apple as a key, for instance, if we get below some of the the, uh, I think it hasn't basically yeah. gone below its highs. So if it goes below a June high or something, then the that, June that low, could, yeah, the June low. I mean, that could be a sign that you know the market's throwing in the towel there. What what other signs should we be looking for? if we're looking for some sort of indication that enough is enough. Well, that's part of the process. And people have been pointing out that some of those stocks that had held up better, that a lot of retail money is in, and that are perceived safe havens have been giving way. Utilities, they were at a new high just a few weeks ago. They've been crushed. Real estate, things like that. So I would say it's part of the process. I think it's wrong for us to look at it as a moment that we're waiting for, uh, the, the, the whole bottoming process, once you've been going down for nine months in a row and you've had these waves of selling, I think we're in, we've gone in the process of, of slowly getting more sold out. You have big investors have very defensive positioning right now. If I look at the systematic, you know, momentum-driven hedge funds, uh, the ones that really do just chase the movement, they have extremely low exposures to stocks right now, similar to the bottom of the COVID crash. That alone doesn't mean that the overall market is capitulated. Uh, Uh, But you're looking for things like massive lopsided downside volume relative to upside. But we saw that in June. So it's sort of in the eye of the beholder, and it has to be confirmed by the nature of any rally that that follows it. Hard to believe we are actually still higher for the week. But we are giving a lot of that back right now. The S&P 500 down 3.3% for the week. We are still, as I mentioned, higher by about 1% or so on the S&P, thanks to that strong rally we had on Monday and Tuesday. Often the strongest rallies, though, do come in the middle of the bear market. Today, the concern, the stronger jobs report, giving the Fed leeway to raise interest rates more, plus corporate warnings from AMD, Samsung, FedEx, and others. Look at the fintech stocks. They are getting crushed today. Kate Rooney, with a look at some of those hard-hit names. Kate, what are you watching? Hey, Sarah, that's right. These names have been really rate sensitive. Among the hardest hit names 
and Group overall. Take a look at shares of Coinbase. That's one of the worst performers today. Also getting hit by lower Bitcoin and crypto prices, down more than 10%. You've also got Affirm, again, a very high growth. One of the uh, big winners during the pandemic, off more than 10% today. Block, Jack Dorsey's company, formerly Square, down more than 7%. Also getting hit by some of those Bitcoin headwinds. You've also got SoFi down about 5%. PayPal down more than 4%. Robinhood actually outperforming when you look at some of the fintech names, down roughly 3%. And then Kathy Wood's ARK Fintech Innovation ETF, really uh, a bellwether for all of these fintech names, down more than 5%, as well as some of the, the Bitcoin mining names, down double digits. Marathon Digital off 15%. You've also got Core Scientific off about 14%. They get hit by higher rates when borrowing costs go up. And then, of course, the price of crypto. We also got Bitcoin below 20,000 today. So rates have been the big story, Sarah. And then Wall Street's also been worried about the low-end consumer, what higher rates and a potential recession would mean for the low-end consumer there. And then you've also got the credit risk. Uh, Some of the buy now, pay later firms like uh, Affirm, which is really a leader there, have been hit. They haven't lived through this type of uh, consumer slowdown, although we haven't seen any sort of uptick in delinquencies this earnings season is uh, going to be big for the fintech names. Back to you. I, for, I had forgotten that Kathy Wood also had a, a fintech-specific ETF. I'm just looking at the ARK Innovation ETF, yeah. which is the main one. It's down 6.6% right now, uh, which brings it down to about 70% off its highs. I imagine, Kate, that the fintech one has done even worse. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. It's underperforming today. Uh, the Innovation ETF down 6%. Ah, actually, fintech is doing slightly better than the innovation ETF, but she's been really bullish on some of those names, Square and just Bitcoin in general, and that long-term innovation disruptive trade. And she's got that fintech ETF and also a long-term believer in Bitcoin, although she did ditch PayPal uh, last year, about six months ago, and PayPal has been an outperformer. So that was, uh, in hindsight, or at least in the short-term trade, not the best move. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, down 90% almost in 12 months, that fintech innovation fund. Thank you, Kate. Let's talk more about tech with Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. He joins us now on the news line. Gene, tech is is in the crosshairs. It has been before when we have these rate worries. But the, the the new wrinkle today is we got warnings from AMD and from Samsung leading to some real concerns about PC demand, memory chip demand. What did you make of some of those warnings? It was. I was actually glad to hear it in the sense that, you know, we've been bracing for this uh, pullback, and we're starting to actually see it in the fundamentals. So there is a piece to waiting for the impact of what's been going on in the global economy, wanting to see that the fear of the unknown, we're starting, the unknown is starting to become known. So there's a side of that uh, that was uh, a little bit of a relief for me. Then my attention immediately swings over to which companies are going to be impacted, which are the next ones to have those headlines that are going to come out. I think a lot about Apple. We do a lot of work on Apple, and I immediately went and checked uh, what the lead times were. It's a kind of a, a, a blunt instrument to try to get a sense of what demand is like. And we've mm. been tracking this weekly basis, and as of today, eight countries, it's still four weeks out for the pro model. And this is um, un- uncharacteristically high lead times, which is uh, if you're going to um, lean to one side or the other, this is a-, a sign that demand is favorable, which is a little bit uh, perplexing given all the negativity that we're talking about. And just to kind of uh, fill in, uh, finish out the thought, Sarah, is that a four-week lead time for iPhones, this is the pro models now, a four-week lead time this far after, three weeks after a launch is, is – um, 
usually typically we're down to a week at that point. And so uncharacteristically high lead times, you can, of course, blame the supply chain and say that that's the, the, the reason Apple. That's what I was going to ask, <laughs> if it was yeah, the shortages Apple's, of the product. I, I that There probably is some of that lead time that is in, uh, within that, but I would guess that that's maybe a week of that, even if you uh, factor that in. The reason why I don't think it's the majority of it is that Apple's done a good job over the past year and a half in terms of navigating some of these uh, supply issues. I suspect that they'll con- they are continuing to do that. And so when we put all this together, all the negative news in tech, uh, my first reaction is to do something which no one is doing right now, which is to try to focus on the fundamentals. Uh, the reason why no one is doing that, it's understandable, is that the market just keeps saying we don't want to hear about the fundamentals. And uh, or, I think or that, we're being blindsided because AMD put out preliminary results saying they're going to miss their forecast by a billion dollars. That's are fundamental. Yeah, there, there are. Uh, my my point is that there are companies that uh, this is going to impact a lot of companies. Uh, every company will have some form of an impact, not just uh, a lot of companies. Every company is going to have an impact by what's going on here. The question is, what is the magnitude of the impact, and uh, and well, which companies have not been uh, have investors not factored that in? And if I if I can just jump to that topic of uh, mm-hmm. we're going to see some of this in the fundamentals, and how do you play this through? The market is obsessed with finding the bottom. What's the bottom? How close are we are to that? What's, what's the curve of yeah. that look like? And uh, just if I just soak in uh, just the, the last 20 minutes of, of uh, your program, it's pretty negative out there. And not to say that today is the bottom. I mentioned we're still a third in cash. We're not deploying today. But I suspect that in the weeks ahead, we are going to be buying, especially some of these ones that are highly shorted and uh, been down 75% year to date. Like what? Give us one name. Um, a name like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not saying we are going to be buying this company, but just to give you a sense about some names, uh, names like uh, Zillow or Coinbase or Unity, uh, Peloton, these are the types of companies, at least for a trade, want to draw a line between trading and investing, a trade perspective, 12% average short interest on those, that's pushing down on the spring pretty hard. And uh, you get any sort of not as bad news as we thought, and these could be up 30% over a couple of months. So I still think that there is um, there's more optimism in all the negativity today uh, if you have a view to look into 2023. The ones everyone hates right now. Gene, thank you. Gene Munster, appreciate you jumping on the phone with some strategy from Loop Ventures. We are going straight into the closing bell market zone. We're commercial free for you here with this big sell off on our hands. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, Steve Kovac is back on AMD, what we heard from that chip maker. And Bank of America's Jill Carey Hall on the small caps. We'll kick it off broad, Mike, because it has been a deterioration for this final hour. It's really been dramatic in terms of the, the magnitude of the selling. There's the Dow. It's down 637 points. Doesn't tell quite the full picture of what's happening right now, because if you look at the S&P with every sector lower and some sectors down by more than 3 percent, 3.6 percent for consumer discretionary, for instance. And then there's the Nasdaq, which is down about 4 percent right now. What what message are you getting, Mike, from this continued sell off after a few up up days that were looking pretty optimistic earlier this week when the market thought, hey, maybe the Fed is going to pare it back? 
Right. Well, there's just no no daylight in any direction in terms of the major things investors are looking at as a signal for when they can get in there and be the contrarian and take on more risk and bet that most of the pain is already through. And that has come in the form of, obviously, a very strong labor market. It may or may not be the right thing for the Fed to be focusing on right now, but they've told you that's at least part of it. That doesn't help. Therefore, you have to bake in three quarters of a percentage point, another hike in November, probably more after that. So no relief there. Oil going up also feeds into that sort of inflation story, the top line inflation expectations, and that doesn't help as well. So you're still caught in the same squeeze I think we've been for a while. Earnings, everyone acknowledges that, that, that there are probably some vulnerability there. Now, estimates have absolutely been coming down for this quarter and next quarter outside of energy. But the question is, is it enough? Is it priced in? Markets seem like they're at fair value, not at super cheap. And so the, the, the only bet that people are making is we've had these ugly Fridays before. We had one a week ago. Monday ripped higher. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but the point is that you have these twitchy moves in both directions. And uh, it's really still in that situation, whereas we find ourselves much of this year, that positioning and sentiment are the only real tailwinds that you have if you want to be bullish, as opposed to feeling as if the fundamentals or the macro story are cooperating just yet. Yeah, which is not great to hang your hat just off of positioning and sentiment, but can clearly lead to some short-term rallies. No pivot for you is the headline of the Bank of America research note today after the September jobs report. And we have been trading a lot around this whole idea of whether the Fed pivots. And then these corporate warnings. Look at FedEx shares right now. FedEx is down under pressure, although coming back from the worst levels, Reuters reporting that the company expects to lower its volume forecast for its ground division due to fewer holiday packages. And they cited an internal memo. The company telling CNBC in a statement, as described in FedEx Corporation's recent first quarter earnings release, weakening macroeconomic conditions are causing volume softness. FedEx, of course, gave a bleak preliminary earnings warning back in September and then withdrew its full year guidance. We are also watching shares of UPS. Those are down even worse than FedEx right now. Joining us for more is Helene Becker, Cowan & Company Senior Research Analyst. Just when you thought, Helene, it couldn't get worse for FedEx, you got this news of lower holiday volumes, which the company did not deny in a statement to us. Where, where does that line up at this point with market expectations? Exactly. So I think that what we're seeing is the consumer keeping their wallets in their pockets. Um, as, as you've guys have been reporting, a shift from goods to services. And remember, these guys talked about doing 2025 volumes back in 2021. So we had been thinking growth would slow anyway. um, And it's just slowing maybe more than they expected. Um, But also, they built a lot of capacity out and and they now they're in an overcapacity situation. So I think you've got those two things coming together right at the holiday season when a lot of people are continuing to be concerned about supply chain issues. And so they've decided to buy sure. early. And, and I think so, that's part of the issue, too. I'm sorry. No, no. That exact point was what I was going to ask you about UPS and whether it's a better bet related to how they managed capacity and supply chain and whether they're going to give as much back as FedEx is having to. Yeah, so I think um, for both of them and for UPS as well, what you've seen there is um, different in the way they've managed the macro this year. They've spent most of the year telling us that things were slowing and they prepared for that. 
and they haven't invested quite as heavily as FedEx. I've always thought of FedEx investing to stay ahead of growth while UPS has always invested to catch up to growth, and I don't think that's changed. I just think they've managed it a little bit differently. And also, remember, UPS has, I guess frozen is the right word, the amount of volume they're willing to take from Amazon. It's 11% of their revenue, and over time, that's going to drop as they focus on higher margin businesses, which... FedEx is is not really doing right now. FedEx is more on the e-commerce side. So it sounds like you like it better, bottom line, of the two. Um, yes, yes, I guess that's right. <laughs> All right. Helene Becker, got it. Thank you very much for joining us on that FedEx news. That stock down only 1%, but it has been beaten down pretty hard lately. And then there's AMD, which is plunging after slashing its third quarter sales outlook by more than a billion dollars. Steve Kovac joins us. Steve, how much of this guidance cut has to do with PC demand, which is, of course, the concern rippling across the industry right now? Yeah, that's right, Sarah. A lot of it is PC demand, some of it the enterprise and things like that. But look, if you were paying attention, you would have known about this back in the summer Microsoft warned back in June, like I told you earlier this uh, this hour, that, look, deteriorating PC demand began in June, but we had these chip makers telling us, look, people are going to keep buying PCs forever. Uh, but we had so much pull forward demand in the first two years of the pandemic, Sarah. You saw Apple posting record Mac revenues for almost eight straight quarters, uh, just practically the entire beginning of the pandemic. That's starting to pull back now as people realize, look, they don't need to upgrade their devices every couple years, even in this hybrid work environment. And I want to point out something that B of A put out uh, uh, this morning after all these, after we saw this downfall. Look, they say, quote, the PC market has been weak, but continues to surprise the companies themselves by blowing their guides to the downside. And they're calling out specifically NVIDIA, Intel, AMD, Micron as the culprits here. These are all names that we're seeing fall today. So, so look, the pull for demand, we knew that was there. We knew demand was deteriorating in the PC market, you know, four or five months ago. And now we're seeing the symptoms of all, all of those uh, factors coming together right now. So that's that's the trouble we're in now. At the same time, we still got the end of the year to get through. There's a lot of new hardware came out. Google just had their big smartphone event yesterday. Apple just put out the iPhone 14, started selling it about three or four weeks ago. And we're going yes. to get maybe even more from Apple later. So look, we got to see what demand looks like through the rest of the year. But they they are flashing the warning signs now, finally, that uh, the consumer is deciding, look, we don't need to buy new PCs every couple of years. Steve Kovac, Steve, thank you. Thanks. Which Mike Santoli makes it kind of hard to figure out what the message is from a lot of these earnings losers and these earnings warners. Because semiconductors, they were at the heart of the supply chain crisis, right? So they ordered everything. It's all coming in, and demand isn't that strong. Same thing happened with Nike. It wasn't a read on consumer demand, why they missed the quarter so much. It was that they were stuck with too much inventory, and they have to unload it at cheaper prices. So it really makes it hard to tell if the consumer is really weakening here like a recession or if just these companies are in crazy positions from hoarding everything. Yeah, it's almost like a a decent shortcut to figuring out who's going to be most affected is how well did you do during the pandemic uh, or how much uh, of a a demand rush did you have to contend with and therefore try to 
try to satisfy uh, with extra ordering uh, in the aftermath. And that's that that semis Nike qualifies in that direction. Obviously, a lot of the more pure pandemic stocks and, you know, the shift to services is a big deal. And FedEx is a great example. Exactly. As as well, by the way, we could be seeing something similar in travel related because there was that huge rush for people to get out there and it was pent up demand for travel. And those stocks are telling you that's not going to carry forward. Demand and supply are we're totally out of whack. And yeah. it's really hard to figure out where this equilibrium is and what it says about demand. Let's look at CVS. It's another big loser today. Following a report that the company is in exclusive talks to acquire Kano Health, CVS also getting hit by a ratings hit to its extremely profitable Medicare Advantage business. Bertha Coombs joins us. Bertha, big move for CVS, down more than 10%. It reached a deal to acquire Signify just a month ago. What, what, are, what can you tell us about the deal strategy here? You know, it's one of those things Karen Lynch has said that they feel an urgency to do deals here to build up their value-based care proposition. That is, they want to make sure that they have more primary care. They missed out on that when Amazon got one medical. They got the home care with Signify, and now it appears, although both companies are uh, not commenting on the reports, that they may be close to a deal for Kano Health which would give them primary care that is really focused on Medicare Advantage members. Got it. Bertha, thank you very much. Kano up shares up about 8.5% on that report. Bertha Coombs, Mike, just want to get back to you on the broader market because it looks like we're going to go out near the lows of the day, if not the lows of the day. S&P 500 down almost 3% right now. Again, still higher for the week. NASDAQ Comp is almost at the flat line for the week. It's down 3.8%. Continue to make highs on, on Treasury yields. How, what, what is the thing you are watching? When you, when you look at the future Sunday night, for yeah. instance, uh, or Monday morning, because whenever we have ugly spills like this, it's always lots of doom and gloom reports over the weekend. What will you be watching? Yeah, well, without a doubt, doom and gloom reports. And first of all, are we going to have to react to anything news-wise over the weekend? It seems as if we're, in, in a very subtle way, bracing for something oil up the way it is. Keep in mind, too, bond market is closed on Monday. It is a bank holiday in some areas, a New York bank holiday, and therefore it's going to be a little bit different without the guidance necessarily of, uh, of the bond market in a direct way. Um, look, it's a washout conditions for the moment. Again, in the short term, uh, the S&P 500 uh, obviously down uh, significantly here, pretty much just at those June lows, those June intraday lows. And the New York Stock Exchange volume split is about 90 percent to the downside. Interesting, the 10-year Treasury yield is not back up to 4 percent. It's pretty much, you know, at the precipice of it. So you're still a little bit below the highs, just as the stock market's a little bit above the lows. Of course, the two-year is the one where more of the action is taking place, 4.3, pretty much at the highs, baking in what's happening there with uh, with the Fed expectations. And the volatility index, I have to say, you would argue it's underreacting. It's up less than a point. Why is that? Because it was already clenched up going into the jobs number. And we're still, for better or worse, uh, who knows for how long, still in this trading range. We haven't made a new low and we have a weekend coming up. And that often does deplete uh, the VIX on the way in. Yeah, about one and a half percent off the, the lows for the S&P 500 yep. at this point. The the June lows that we all talk about. Mike, thank you. We'll let you get set up for overtime at the top of the hour. Look forward to that discussion. We've got just a couple minutes left here in the trading week. Let's bring in Jill Carey Hall. She's the head of U.S. small cap and mid cap strategy at Bank of America Securities. And Jill, I was really interested to talk to you because this week, small caps showed some signs of life. And even with the big fall today, 3%, they're up two and a quarter percent for the week, the biggest winner of the four major averages. Why do you think that is? 
Well, I think, you know, we've, we've obviously seen, as, as Mike and Helene were mentioning earlier, you know, supportive trends for small caps. The fact that services holding up better than goods is something we've been highlighting for a while that should be supportive for small caps. Um, you know, ne near term, we've expected this could be a volatile market. Our S&P 500 year-end target has been 3,600. We're obviously a lot closer to that, but we think things could continue to stay choppy. Um, but for small caps, as we've been pointing out, you know, they, we've been highlighting how cheap they've looked for a while. Now they look even cheaper. And, you know, as we think about recession, small caps are trading at 11 times forward earnings. The ISM manufacturing index has been a very correlated indicator with, with small caps, a very important one for, for performance. But when you look at, you know, what small caps are pricing in, they're, they're now discounting an, an ISM level of about 30. So that's, you know, pretty much the, the lowest the ISM has ever hmm. troughed. If you look back to the 1970s, early 80s recessions, um, the, the average for the, the last four recessions ISM trough was more like 39. So we really think the index is pricing in, you know, kind of a worst case scenario at this point in terms of, you know, recessionary multiples. Um, and, and you have seen the index start to outperform even amid the, the weak market. So um, really, small caps have been been doing well relative to large caps. You know, choppy, but but roughly since sure. May. So, so we think the outperformance could continue. Yeah, maybe on that valuation gap that you've cited within small caps, Jill. What what was what's your strategy? Which sectors do you like best? So I think, you know, you still want to stick with quality. You know, quality tends to do well in, in volatile markets. And if we go into a downturn, sticking with stocks within small caps that have earnings rather than no earnings, the, the S&P 600 small cap index, which is, you know, much higher quality than the Russell 2000, fewer stocks with non-earnings, fewer stocks with no earnings. That index has been outperforming this year. Um, stick with stocks that have healthy free cash flow. That's, that's a value strategy that tends to work well in these types of market environments. Um, energy still looks good across our work, you know, very cheap, under-owned, um, you know, commodity prices staying higher for longer. Um, so, so those are areas that we think look well within small caps. Healthcare has still been a, a riskier area. It's deteriorated yeah. in, in quality. So healthcare looks a lot better in our large cap work than our small cap work. Got it. Jill Carey Hall, small caps are better. <laughs> Says, says Jill Carey Hall, who, who, who covers the small caps for Bank of America. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. As we go into the close here, I just want to show you what's happening. We're going to go out at near the lows of the session, down 600 points or so on the Dow. The S&P 500 got, got every sector lower at the moment. Energy is faring the best because oil prices are, have actually been rising lately. Consumer discretionary, the worst performing sector, along with You've got a, a lot of sectors down there, communication services, for instance. Actually, technology is now the worst. Information technology down more than 4%. And that's thanks in part to the big drop that we're seeing in AMD, which is down 14% on the close, dragging all the chip makers. Look at NVIDIA down 8% or so. We're still going to get a gain for the week, which is crazy after a day like today. It doesn't feel that way, but we are still higher for the week and uh, faring for our best week since June 24th. The NASDAQ going out with a decline of almost 4%. On the week, it is still higher. First positive one in four. And the small caps down almost 3%. That's it for me on Closing Bell. Have a good weekend, everyone. I'll see you next week into overtime with Mike Santoli. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.